my name is Parker. And my name is Ned. And this is The Force Unlimited, yet another Star Wars Unlimited podcast. This is episode number four. We're recording on December 10th. Tonight, Ned and I are going to talk about the beatdown, and we're also going to talk about car advantage uh, in card games. But before we get to that, uh, two notes. First, I want to apologize to the Star Wars Unlimited content completionists. Uh, if you are one of those people who feels compelled to watch all SWU content, we dropped three hours on you last week that was math heavy, and we acknowledge that we did that. Ryback, we see you. We're sorry. Uh, second note, uh, this is our first episode recording after launch. So we've started getting feedback. We're pumped. You love Ned, which is great. I love Ned. That's why I asked him to co-host a podcast with me. Also, uh, the editing could be a little tighter, could be a little cleaner. I hear that. So tonight the editing is going to be both cleaner and tighter. feel about the game we just played of Star Wars Unlimited? Um, it was interesting. I normally, despite my reputation as being someone who hates fun, I tend not to gravitate towards controlling decks, but I was definitely the control role in this particular matchup. Um, but I was never under enough pressure that I felt super uncomfortable. Tell, tell me about the game. Who, I mean, you played... So I was, yeah, I played Tarkin. I played Tarkin Blue, and uh, you played Urso, Urso uh, Blue. So it was, you know... Blue, that was my Bombay blue. Sapphire deck that yep. came out of our conversation last episode. And it was really good. Like, I think that throughout the middle game, you had basically permanent board control. And from turns, like, six through eight, it was... Six through nine... It, or rather resources six through nine it was me just dropping fatty after fatty and watching as yoda with a lightsaber went to town uh and and just removed card after card yeah it, it, yoda with a lightsaber who i ultimately entrenched and yet that still wasn't enough that deck brush. just yeah. yeah that deck went off <laughs> and yet uh blizzard atsd with a blizzard atat rather with a overwhelming barrage i mean i mean everybody yeah. went down no, you let you let it live. I mean that yeah. that that was on you. I feel like you didn't want to throw away your whole board dealing with it, but so that uh, I threw away end, my whole board dealt, not dealing whole with board it. dealing with it. Yeah, no that that's the beauty of overwhelming barrage. Yeah, and I mean I I tossed yeah. one uh, do uh, turn turn to spark one a rebellion, yeah. And, yeah. and and it wasn't enough. That that card, I'm very curious to see if, if I mean, heroism have... gets anything close but otherwise i feel like that card is something sure. that's gonna be one of the fundamental questions again limited meta but that's yeah. gonna be one of the fundamental questions uh of the spark of rebellion at launch is if 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 you're in a game with green villainy are, are you prepared to deal with overwhelming barrage i mean that's I mean, that's gonna I, I... Yeah, I think that that's a big part of the topic that we're talking about today is why Overwhelming Barrage is so good uh, and why, honestly, I think at this point it is meta-warping. Like, the fact that I see it in non-green and even, like, non-villainy decks is wild to me because it... I mean, I don't see it in non-green, non-villainy decks, but even, like, with a two-resource tax, the fact that it is the only big card advantage, board advantage combo card... Um, is hard, and I, I think we're well, going to talk and, about and that when we talk into advantage. It's yeah. the only card that allows you to casually remove multiple opponents' yes. cards. And so, even yes. if we end up getting some sort of Wrath of God effect that wipes everything, there, mm -hmm. then you still now you have to work around the symmetry. Whereas overwhelming barrage, right. every other answer answers one question. But the fact that I mean, it's overwhelming barrage and palp, right? Those are the right. two. And what's terrifying is that some decks are going to casually run both, right? Like, yeah, and, and just pinpoint, you know, just pinpoint removal, many things. So, yeah, that's the. I mean, it was such a great game. Jin's ability felt great. Jin yes. with uh, Jin, I was running a Jin Jedi deck, so Blue Sapphire ended up being Jin plus every Jedi I could slam in there, uh, and just to get that uh, Jedi lightsaber because minus three super good yeah just casually not taking damage when you attack is uh, really good uh but and at the end of the day the saddest least uh the coldest take takeaway i think is that overwhelming barrage really good good card. but let's get into tonight's topics 
All right, so our first segment tonight, we're going to talk about who is the beatdown. I'm going to cover the short version, then Ned's going to walk us through it a little deeper. Who is the beatdown is a question that if you want to be a competitive TCG player, that's a question that you need to be able to ask in your given game. In any hobby, there are those threshold seminal questions that come up to kind of separate you into tiers of of skill. Uh, if given my hobbies and bait in cooking, it's do you know the mother sauces? In gardening, it's can you transplant something in the fall? If it's tabletop role playing, it's have you played literally anything other than Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition? <laughs> but 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 so in in TCGs, the threshold question, one of those que one of many questions that kind of separate you into levels of skill is are you capable of identifying the beatdown? So that phrase, the beatdown, as I understand it, also kind of means are you the aggro deck? It ties back yes. to a, a classic article, ancient article that I found, uh, I mean, that we all found that's hosted on Star City Games. And it's actually from the dojo, which is wild. This is like proto internet. Like, like it was on the internet, but it was back when the internet was like AOL, basically. Like when you had to, like, 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 like BBS dial-up or like, or like. No, like, past that, past that. Okay. It was past BBS dial-up. I was on dial-up. So I could go to Yahoo and, yes. and yes. search for the dojo and I'd get yes. to the dojo.geocities.com or something. So. But basically it was, it was a magic forum back in a the, forum. the okay. dawn ages. Wow. Yeah. So it's an original article. It ties to magic, but I think it literally any dude basher TCG, it's the same question where it, you're either the beatdown, I believe the terminology now has evolved mm -hmm. to aggro, but you're either yes. the beatdown or you're the control. And the beatdown's mm -hmm. the person who's trying to win. The control player is the person who's generating value and will win if the game is going on long enough. And when you're playing a Tarkin red aggression deck, when you're playing Sabine, you assume you're the beatdown. When you're playing some sort of Luke Vigilance heal weighted out deck, you assume you're the control. Mm -hmm. Those are the easy questions, but in some matchups, some mirror matches, now you still have to identify one player is, there's this objective truth. One player is the beatdown, one player is not. And being able to figure out, am I the beatdown is a critical skill that you have to identify. And Failure to identify that and then be able to play as the beatdown, be able to play faster, go faster, is going to cost you the game. And Yes. Okay, so it's easy and obvious when it's Sabine versus uh, Vigilance Luke. Basically anybody. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> right. But <laughs> when you're playing, some some matches are closer, mid-range versus right. mid-range. Yes. Who's the beatdown? And, and even in, there's got to be some situation in some parallel universe somewhere Somebody is playing a Sabine versus Luke deck that due to the nature of cards, Luke's the beatdown, right? Like in that turn. Yes. I mean, I mean, yeah. Talking about the beatdown within a turn is, I don't think, as helpful. Although I, okay. I do think it is important to know like when you have to turn the corner as control. At some point when you're the control, you do have to say, like, okay, I need to move from not losing to winning. Um, okay. But so yeah, talk about it. So let's you know, that, yeah. take over on the medium version. All right. So I think the, the number one thing that we want to talk about when you want to talk about who's the beatdown is that it's a strategy-informing decision. And what I mean by a strategy-informing decision is that it's making choices about overall how you're driving the game. So examples of strategy, I think this was a really good one that came up in the game that we played, is focusing on clearing the board versus attacking your opponent's base. I would argue that in the match that we just played, I am a bigger deck than you are. And Tarkin so, is a bigger deck. Tar Tarkin is a bigger deck than um, uh, Jin. And so because Tarkin is the bigger deck, you need to focus less on clearing the board and more on attacking my base. I... You know, obviously there are exceptions and, and there's a lot, but the aggro player needs to focus on attacking the opponent's base. The control player is trying to keep the board clear. Another example is how greedy can you play? That is, do I have the opportunity to wait and try and play my units for the maximal value? Or do I have to play my units now to avoid dying or to, okay. to get the value out of them now? 
And uh, both players, you can argue that this is less of a beatdown informed strategy question, but knowing your role will help you to decide how greedy you can be. And in general, as the control deck, you can be less greedy. You can, you can wait less because since you are under the clock, you have to not die. And the assumption is that you are going to gain in value as the game goes on. So you don't have to try and squeeze the maximum value out of your cards uh, and you can afford to play them suboptimally to not die. Okay. Um, another control question is, do I deploy my leader? This is specifically a, a When you say control question, question, you mean things that inform yeah. strategy? Yes, yes. Okay. This, this, a strategic question is, do I deploy my leader as soon as I can, or do I want to wait until I can guarantee that I'm going to get a couple of turns of value out of it? And the aggro player in general is going to want to deploy their leader as soon as they can because it's effectively a free card. Whereas the control player will maybe deploy the leader quickly if they, the leader can help stabilize the board. But a lot of times they're going to want to wait and they're going to want to wait as long as they can to avoid um, losing. Uh, no, I mean, that yeah. tracks, I think, on both the, the two of the most two uh, recently revealed leaders. You've got Jin and Aiden yeah. Versio. Both of whom feel like leaders that Jin you only want to deploy if you're planning on uh, not going face, if you're planning on doing a lot of exchanges. Yes. Because her value only exists in more than one face exchange. I mean, her stats, 47 right. is not the worst. Uh, it's respectable. It's Aiden, yeah. likewise, triggers from spending an action to heal one if you've nuked somebody to just whenever you nuke somebody, heal one. So again, mm -hmm. requires you to you want to deploy Iden and then drop your overwhelming barrage or you know yes. So you don't want to deploy them immediately if you're not going to be able to drive value. Okay, that's a strategic question. I get that. Another example of a strategic question is: um, Are there must kill units or must protect units? Are is your strategy reliant on keeping a particular unit around? Um, generally, I think that strategies that involve keeping a particular unit around. Are not very good but there are frequently strategies where you must kill your opponent's card or you will lose so i i would say for example with Jin, um i had to spend a lot of resources to kill them because if i didn't you were just going to get infinite value forever well flip side of the coin yeah. i had to kill blizzard atat i did yes. not and it cost me the game right you know blizzard atat is strong enough that with an overwhelming barrage it would wipe your board and so you you have to. I should have thrown board. more into. I, I was I was too greedy. Okay, so those are strategic yeah. decisions, but mm -hmm. how do I tie that back into the question of who's the beatdown? Right. So the beatdown informs your strategy. If you are the beatdown, your strategy needs to be an aggressive strategy because you are trying to win now. Whereas if you are the control, you are trying to not lose now. If you are the control, the longer the game goes on, the more advantaged you are. If you are the uh, beatdown, the longer the game goes on, the less advantaged you are, but the more advantaged you are right now. Um, and it's also important to differentiate strategy from tactics. Strategy is like your overall approach to the game, and then tactics are specific questions about how you do things for maximum effect. Okay, Ned, I ask, looking at the script, do you have yeah. examples? I do. So uh, an example of a tactic is, do you want to do the Han nonsense to play Han in a six drop on turn four? So if you do that, you are losing a card from your hand. Um, you're having to line yourself up such that you have Han and you can you know, activate Han's ability to give yourself a temporary resource, play your leader Han, attack with Han to get yourself another temporary resource and then play a six drop. And that only works uh, if you have a particular configuration of things on the board. But that's an example of a tactic. Uh, Ken is lining things up so that you can do that. I don't know that I recognize Han-related actions as anything other than Han nonsense, but okay, yeah, sure. All right. Another example of a tactic is which unit, if any, do I hit with open fire? If I have open fire, do I target the unit that has the most health um, that I can kill with it in one shot? So, like, for example, imagine that your opponent has... Yoda and Greedo on the board, Let, let's say, right? Like Greedo has more power, uh, Yoda has less power, Yoda has more hit points, uh, Yoda is a higher cost unit. So 
when I'm making the choice about which unit do I hit with open fire, that's a tactical choice. It's not a strategic choice. Your strategy might inform this if you are, for example, the beatdown, you want to open fire the Yoda because Yoda is restoring their base every turn that it sticks around. And so you have to take that off the, the battlefield and you can accept the damage from um, Greedo. But if you are the uh, control player, the opposite is true, is that Greedo presents a more direct threat. He's dealing three points of damage a turn to your base. So even though it might be non-resource advantageous to, to throw your open fire at Greedo, if you need to open fire something, open fire Greedo. Um, another example of a tactic is sequencing. Is sequencing is difficult. Um, I think that sequencing is beyond the order, uh, beyond the scope of this particular episode. It's, it's a whole topic in and of itself, but playing out your turn, knowing like what actions do I need to take now versus what actions can I wait on, those kinds of choices uh, are important and uh, frequently give you lots of value if you can sequence things correctly. And then sort of the ultimate example of that is taking the initiative, which I think is a really cool mechanic from SWU. And that is when you take the initiative, you guarantee that you go first next turn, but you can't do anything else this turn. And because of that, frequently you will be in a position where you can take the initiative, but there's still like a couple of marginal things that you could do to try and squeeze a little bit more value out of the turn. And you need to be able to evaluate your current state and understand, do I need to take the initiative because I have to do something right away next turn versus, um, no, I, I don't want to waste, leave value on the table. I want to be able to like spend my one to activate my Vader leader ability or spend my one to activate my Tarkin leader ability or swing with my regional governors into your base for one. And, and these are informed by who's the beatdown, but these are frequently beyond the scope of who's the beatdown. So who is the beatdown informs your strategy. Strategy is yes. what you're trying to do, and tactics is yes. how you are trying to do. So it's exactly. one step removed from the beatdown. Right. Okay. And there are tactics that lean more into being the beatdown versus not. So, for example, I would argue that the Han nonsense leans more towards being the control because you are throwing away cards for value. Um, but there's a lot of circumstances in which that's not where like you're trying to accelerate to six and get out this really powerful unit such that you can close the door on your opponent and win versus, you know, the, the other approach is I'm playing a big unit to try and hold the board. If I have this big unit, my opponent has to deal with it. And that's the control mindset of I'm playing a big unit. So my opponent has to deal with it versus the beatdown mindset of I'm playing a big unit because I want to attack my opponent's base. Okay. Okay. So, I think I've got a pretty good grasp, and hopefully dear listener does as well, of tactics and how they inform or apply strategy and how strategy is informed by the beatdown. But that doesn't – that I understand the, the connection, but, but mm -hmm. okay, so if I am or I'm, if I'm to beatdown or if I'm control, right. from whence? Like what, what's the next step there? Well, I think that it's important to identify this idea of where this comes from, is um, when you are the beatdown, every turn that goes by, every action, everything that happens is taking you further away from victory. So if you are going to win, you have to win now. Whereas the control, every turn that happens, every, every action that happens that the longer the game goes on, the more likely it is that you have survived and having survived that you will win. So being the beatdown is all about trying to throw your resources away as efficiently as possible to win now. You want to turn the game into a race where okay. I'm dealing damage to your base, you're dealing damage to my base, but because I'm faster, I will win that race. Um, as the beatdown, you frequently have to make bad trades. So an example of a bad trade is if I have to throw two of my units into your Sentinel to unlock my ability to continue attacking your base, I will do that. Rather than, like, as the control perspective, if your opponent has a Sentinel unit out that you can't get through right now, that's okay. You just are waiting turns to get your bigger unit out so that you can trade more efficiently into, you know, cell block guard. So I feel like the two things you just said are somewhat at cross purposes and and yeah. maybe that's just this the second order step identify yeah. the beat down be good at playing yes. is <clears throat> efficiently you said that as the beat down you're trying to efficiently trade 
resources to win now, but also yes. sometimes, I mean, a bad trade feels inefficient. It is absolutely inefficient, but as the beatdown, th this is the essence of why it's a strategic level choice and not a tactical level choice, is that you, as the beatdown, are trying to kill your opponent as quickly as possible, and um, if the only way for, the only line that you can take that will kill your opponent is throwing your units into their sentinel unit inefficiently, then you take it. Okay. On the other hand, because you are going to have less resource, you are going to have more resources now, but you are going to have, as time goes on, your resources will matter less and less and less. You And by resources here, I'm not referring to the physical like resources that you have that allow you to play cards, but I'm talking about your cards, um, your your all the tools that your deck has. Your resources are, you have bigger resources now, but less resources later. And ideally you want them to stretch to the point where you can kill your opponent. Okay. And okay. if you're but... hyper advantaged as the beatdown, then you just attack, attack, attack into their face and you win and you don't have to think about it. But frequently as the beatdown, there's going to come a point where your opponent is on low base HP. You need to make a call about do I wait or do I press my advantage? And having made that call, you need to be able to follow through on it. So, you know, it's turn five. Your opponent has like a reasonably sized sentinel. Um, let's say that you're playing against like a, a Tarkin, like a green black deck with something else in. It's very likely that the Gladiator Star Destroyer is going to come down next turn and make one of their other units a sentinel. So if you can clean up an arena and and make sure that you can get in the next turn, you might have to do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds awful. Um, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to be the beatdown. <laughs> I recognize the need that sometimes I will be because I gravitate. I will often be because I gravitate towards mid-range decks. But my my natural comfort is control. So, mm -hmm. uh, mindful of who is the beatdown. How do I play as control? If you are the control, you are trying to not lose. The assumption is that every turn that goes on, you are getting further and further ahead because your cards are bigger because. You know, you are the control. That is what it means to be the control, is that the longer the game goes on, the more advantage that you have. So that means that everything that you can do to extend the length of the game is probably in your favor. And I say probably up to a point, where that, that up to a point is really important because at a certain point as the control, you need to win so that your opponent, like imagine that you're playing against a Sabine player. They're doing one point of damage to your base every turn, period. And so at a certain point, you need to just win now i mean like maybe you have enough uh you know base health gain that you can ignore it but pretending that you don't or or you know it's taxing that in a way that you would prefer not to and at a certain point you do have to switch and you do have to okay i'm going to win the game now but up until that point it's all about trying not to lose so how do you make the game take longer you want to keep the board clear generally of your opponent's cards you want to keep the board clear of your opponent's cards because uh that means that nothing is happening. If they have cards on the board and you have cards on the board, then they can attack their cards into your cards or they can even worse attack their cards into your base. So you're trying to, as the control, you're trying to keep the board clear. Um, as the control, you're trying to prioritize keeping your base HP relatively high. And this is something where, you know, relatively high, this swoo is new. I don't know how this is going to play out, but you want to make sure that you don't lose to like a lucky surprise strike. You know, they play a Death Star Stormtrooper and then they surprise strike it into your base for six out of nowhere that you weren't expecting and now you lose. Okay. Uh, so don't don't let that happen. Keep keep that base health up. Keep the base health up. And you do that by you're playing Sentinel units, you're attacking your units into their units, and you're you're just generally trying to make the game go longer until such a point that you have such a big advantage that you can Still keep control of your board position and hit them. You don't want to run into a situation, although you might have to, where you're having to give up control of the board for getting points of damage into their base. Yeah. So one last question regarding yeah. uh, playing as control. How, how do you identify that turning point where you're, you're pivoting from not losing to winning? So um, in Magic, there's this concept of stabilized. You stabilized when you have big enough creatures on the board that your opponent doesn't have any good attacks anymore. At that point, you have stabilized. 
And what that means is that they can no longer make good attacks into your into you because in Magic, uh, Defender chooses blockers. But in SWU, you don't have that same luxury, right? Like if you if I drop Blizzard AT AT, um, it's a giant dude. But unless I give it Sentinel, you can just attack past it. So you will probably be in a situation in which you have stabilized when you feel reasonably confident about keeping whatever card they play that you can probably kill it and still have with, something with left, left over to throw at base yes exactly okay. is um because you are trying to keep the board clear as long as you are not confident that whatever you can they can play you can kill you have not stabilized yet okay as you're explaining this i'm reworking the game in my head and realizing kind of where i think i lost so okay yeah okay so i i gravitate towards mid-range when mm -hmm. i'm playing against aggro i'm control when i'm playing against yep. control i'm the beat down but in, yes. a, in theory some third of games i am the mid-range against the mid-range mm -hmm. one of mm -hmm. us even though we're both playing mid-range decks or in a mirror match even i'm still the one of us is still the beat down one of us is still yes. control how do i know which one i am and I think that this, uh, an important note is, let's imagine that we're playing a perfectly uh, mirror match. It's gonna depend on the cards that you draw, uh, in part, is that depending on what cards show up in your hand, you might end up being forced into the beatdown role or you might be end up being forced into the control role, um, at least temporarily. And that can end up in some weird situations. So a common, um, to, to go back to the mid-range, you have this idea of drawing the wrong half of your deck, where half of your deck is more controlling and half of your deck is more beatdowny. and if you're drawing the wrong half of your deck well you know stinks but uh to to like good thing it's best two out of three yeah exactly um in the in the sort of best jeff, jeff foxworthy you might be the beatdown if okay <laughs> if you're not playing any removal then you might be the beatdown. <laughs> oh i'm so excited if, keep going if your average unit cost is lower than your truck you might be the beat down <laughs> if the last time you were able to draw an extra card was when you were playing pictionary last night you might be the beat down <laughs> i i haven't done youtube shorts yet but i'm now i know i want to that, okay that was amazing okay so um removal the cost yeah, of your more, cards how much removal you yes. have the cost of your cards and you use and card advantage how many how many yes. cards you're drawing um yes kind of but but it's all relative right so yes. you also i mean again this is just a general feel right it's an art not a science yes uh and so you can't necessarily guarantee it or play it this way but in theory in the abstract with mm -hmm. arbitrary points you're drawing the wrong half of your deck in a mirror match so you're the beatdown you think yeah. and yet your opponent is drawing an even worse half of your mirror deck and so it turns out no truly they are the beatdown because right. you at least have some answers and they have exactly you know. okay or you have some questions and they literally only have late game answers or something okay right. So, so, so to go into this a little bit, why removal makes you the control is if we go back, the control wants to keep the board clear, removal keeps the board clear. So if you're having removal, you are able to keep the board clear. With lower curve cards, lower curve cards are less powerful later, but they're more powerful now. And so if you have a lower curve, uh, if you're drawing cheaper cards, you are going to end up being more of the beatdown role. Uh, whereas if you're drawing your higher cost cards, those cards will be more powerful when they come into play. And so you're trying to not die until the point where you can play those cards. And finally, this the idea of card advantage. And I know we're, we're jumping a little bit ahead, uh, but if you're seeing more cards than your opponent, if you are, or you are ending up with more cards in play than your opponent, then you are in the control role you tend to be in the control role. If you're drawing more cards, you tend to be in the control role because again, if you're drawing more cards, you can play more cards in the future, but those cards aren't cards right now. Whereas if you are having more cards in play now, the cards that you have in play now are valuable now and they may be less valuable in the future. So you might be more of the beatdown. So this is a reason why I feel like 
when you use the generic term card advantage, sometimes people use card advantage to mean I have more cards in play right now versus I have more cards in hand. And these terms are used interchangeably, but they actually have different implications um, for uh, which role you should be trying to take on. Okay. Okay. So, <clears throat> all right. So I think that's the medium version. Mm -hmm. Dear listener, if you want the long version, uh, though I will acknowledge it's possible Ned and I have dragged this out longer than the actual <laughs> length of the article, which is a reasonably short article, you can just Google or search on your search engine of choice, DuckDuckGo, who's to beat down. I'll link it in the episode descriptions on both the podcast and YouTube. It's a great read. It has lots of mm -hmm. links to magic cards. If you're not into magic, the underlying theory is still sound. Uh, but hope, hopefully, if you've never heard the theory, uh, who's to beat down, hopefully you're one step closer to playing competitively. And if you're very familiar with who is to beat down, hopefully Ned provided some texture and nuance to the question that you hadn't heard before. All right, second segment, Ned and I are going to talk about advantage. Ned mentioned card advantage in the first segment. I have some sense of what the word means in English and games. I assume advantage means I'm deriving more value uh, from my deck, from my units, mm -hmm. than my opponent is. If you want to be the control player, you're eking out more value. You're getting, and if you're getting more value than your opponent, you're gaining advantage over them. But we hear a lot of terms, I hear a lot of terms bandied around like card advantage and tempo, but I don't actually have a clear idea of what those are. So Ned has told me that there are dis distinct sets of types of advantage. And uh, for my, and again, much like I make Swoody B for me and everybody else benefits, uh, I'm making this podcast partly just so that I can ask Ned to teach me how to play card games and then everybody else benefits. But Ned, Walk me through advantage. So I'm going to start with a brief history lesson, and I know I promise it won't be super boring, but back in ye oldie days when the card games were new, uh, people would look at a deck that was a control deck and or something similar to a control deck. There was a deck called The Deck back in, back in the dawn ages. And people would look at it, they'd go, what the heck? How is this good? Because most of the deck does not help you to win. It does not do anything to win. The vast majority of the deck is focused around not losing. And um, it's been a while since I've played team sports, but uh, from what I, I recall of my, my pickup basketball days, playing to not lose is generally speaking not a good strategy. But in card games, it turns out that it is. And so people came up with a language, a way to talk about things that they see that uh, you can gain an advantage in and by having these kinds, specific kinds of advantage, you can press these advantages to maybe win. So uh, most of the time, the idea behind an advantage is that in a lot of the card game, things are symmetric, but you are breaking the symmetry in your own favor. Like enchant uh, worlds. Yes. Okay, right? so Where taking, taking advantage people, of yeah. uh, setting up situations that are symmetrical, but you're prepared to take advantage of. Right. Okay. But these are fundamental to the rules of the game. Okay. So um, I'm going to start off with the most easy to gain and lose, and that is tempo advantage. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. So, before you start talking oh, about whoa, tempo. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Uh, so we have how, how many yeah. kinds of advantage are you going to talk about tonight? I'm going to talk specifically about four kinds of advantage, and then there's a hidden fifth kind of advantage that I might talk about depending on how long I go on in the other kinds of advantage. I say we talk about it forever. Okay, so okay. the four types of advantage, can can you make them ascend or descend in an interesting way? I think that I can. So I'm okay. going to start off by talking about the most ephemeral advantages, and then I'm going to go down into the most sort of deep advantages but have the longest time to come online okay okay so, so the most you said tempo tempo is the most ephemeral advantage so that means that it's very easy to gain and lose it so in a lot of games both uh in in a lot of games where it's i go you go both players have the same number of turns in swoo that's not really true we both have the same number of turns but we don't necessarily have the same number of actions but i'm going to start off by talking about the same number of turns and then I'm going to move into the same number of actions. Um, so if we both have the same number of turns, the faster that I can play my stuff out, 
I have a tempo advantage because my cards are able to act for longer than your cards, or able to act earlier, so there's a longer duration of time that they are able to act for than your cards. So okay. if I play a three cost unit on turn three, and you play a three cost unit on, or turn two, which is when you're supposed to be playing a three cost unit, uh, then you I have I feel like we're going to be in like set five before we completely internalize the N minus one, N plus one nature of it, resources versus I turns. I keep tripping over it. It's it's really, I think it's really good. And, yep. and again, topic, topic for another day, but. Play more good stuff sooner is absolutely a, yeah. a great design choice, but it still makes, I have N turns versus N plus one resources. So. Okay. Yes. But. Um, you are getting a tempo advantage because on turn three, you are able to attack with your unit and I am not able to attack with my unit. So Sorry, say gained... that again. So, so you have, on turn have... three, you play a three cost unit. So on turn two, you played a two cost unit. Oh, you played a three cost unit because magic yep. or, or actually no, they're just resources of the game. On turn, on turn two, you played a, a three cost unit. Uh, on turn three, I played a three cost unit. You are able to attack me with your three cost unit and I am not able to attack you with my three cost unit on turn three because I have lost a tempo advantage. So you have one attack worth of tempo on me. So exhausting and readying is examples of tempo advantage, where if you're exhausting a card, you are losing that card a tempo for a turn, right? Like if I am exhausting your unit, you have lost one turn out of being able to use that unit. If I am readying a unit, I have an additional turn worth of attacking out of the unit. If I have an ambush unit, that ambush unit, ambush is a tempo keyword. It means that I get to immediately get value out of the unit. Whereas if you compare it to the same unit without ambush, you have to wait to get that value. Okay. And so, so tempo is now versus later. Okay. So I'm playing Grand Inquisitor. I have the yep. ability to deal two damage to one of my units to ready it. That readying yep. is gaining me tempo advantage yes yeah hit points are not tempo advantage so at the cost of no. some other value but right. purely te pure tempo wise that's what grand inquisitor's whole premise is is lose hit yeah. points gain tempo advantage by way of ready exactly yeah okay and a lot of and it's impossible to talk about things in a vacuum because most of the time you can't get something for free but we have to, to pretend that they, you can get things for free. We have to kind of neglect everything. Taking, uh, again, my physics background is showing here is that you're trying to neglect everything other than the variables that exactly you're trying to study and then you pretend that everything else is the same. Okay, well, that's great. I'm great at pretend. Yeah. So, okay, but but that, I mean, I, I come uh, uh, closer to an accounting background. So you are moving right. money from one department to another. You're moving temp uh, advantage from one kind of advantage and exchanging it for a different kind of advantage. But we can look yep. in the specific kind of advantage and say, I've, I've gained this kind, I've gained tempo at the cost of right. hit point advantage or whatever that is. But I've gained, Grand Inquisitor has p just looking in the department Purely of in the tempo, tempo column. Yeah. In the tempo column, I've gained tempo. That's yes. it. I, I'm up. Yep. Yep. Okay. Similarly, uh, Bamboozle. Um, is an example of a tempo card, but right. it's got other stuff packed in, right? And like you're playing you are, a card, which I right. assume will tie into something called Card Avenger or something. But you said yes, there's we're, we're going to get there. We're going to get okay. there. Yeah. So the net, so tempo advantage is really ephemeral because it's every unit has tempo every turn, and so like a tempo advantage that you've gained now will tend to go away, right? Like if I have gained a tempo advantage temporarily next turn, that tempo advantage is probably like. The, the effects of that tempo advantage have been seen, but unless I have continual like readying shenanigans, I am not able to continue to profit from that. I have gained my profit and we're moving on. So that's why it's the most kind of ephemeral. And, and it just ebbs and flows. You can gain it, yeah. but you can also lose it real quick. And Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Is there a second? The next, yes, so at the next level of, of solid, solidness, we have board advantage. So board advantage is we're looking at the units that I have on the board and we're looking at the units that you have on the board. And if my stuff is better than your stuff, then I have board advantage. So let's pretend it's turn three, you have a, or turn two, you have a disabling fang viper and I have the Millennium Falcon. The disabling fang viper is a three, two. The Millennium Falcon is a three, four. So I can trade my Millennium Falcon into your uh, disabling fang viper 
and I will still have a unit, and you will not. So, so at the start of the because, turn, you have board advantage. Yes. Um, so board advantage is why big cards are good. If I am playing like the Blizzard ATAT, that is a big card, and so that card is kind of worth more than your cards. And and some people try and compress that, and they they talk about it as card advantage that like the Blizzard ATAT is worth more than one card but i think that that muddies the waters a little bit and and fundamentally i think that it, it's helpful to decompose this is that cards that have big stats give them board advantage and this is why overwhelming barrage one of the reasons why overwhelming barrage sees a huge amount of play is because you are getting board advantage because you are taking your unit you are making it bigger and then also you are removing a huge amount of material from your opponent's board Right, like it's a it's a big swing in board advantage. Uh, board advantage tends to be ephemeral because units die. So, like if I have a big unit, it will tend to die, and then when it dies, I no longer have that board advantage that it was giving me. But uh, because of the uh, nature of SWU combat, where I can choose to attack your units, that is another reason why board advantage in SWU tends to be more ephemeral, is that if you have a big unit, I can just attack it down. Whereas in other card games, if I have a big unit, I get to choose whether or not it defends. And so you cannot just eliminate But unless I have a big unit, I'm just going to be slamming multiple big units into that right. Blizzard ATAT and yep. losing my, board, my relative board advantage to get there. Right. And, and this is the thing is that board advantage can be really hard to evaluate is would you rather have, uh, to go back to like the, the board seat that we have previously, three pretty good units. I mean, like I would say that the Yuda with a lightsaber. Uh, Entrenched Yoda uh, with a lightsaber, Kanan Jarrus, and yeah. uh, the uh, Lothal Insurgent. Lothal. Yeah. He, he's a chump, but collectively yeah. that's a nice little squad. Right. And I would say that, like, in that example where we had just those cards versus just my Blizzard ATAT, you had board advantage. But then when I played Overwhelming Barrage, I now had board advantage because your units all died and I had a 11 11. Uh, How the turntables. Rare, rare to go. Yeah. Okay. So that's why board advantage, it's, it's ephemeral, but it's it doesn't go away automatically. Like, a tempo advantage um, will go away on its own, whereas a board advantage will tend to not. Okay. Uh, so the next level of ephemera is resource advantage. So a resource advantage is pretty solid. So again, we're thinking about this in terms of players have the same. By default, players can have the same number of resources. If I want, I can have three resources on turn two, and you can have three resources on turn two. But if I am able to do what I want to with less resources, with fewer resources, then I'm gaining an advantage. So the classic example here is vanquishing the 97th Legion. If I vanquish the 97th Legion, I have spent a five cost card to defeat your seven cost card. So you have spent seven resources on cards, I have spent five resources on cards, and therefore if I can use my other two resources to do something, I've gained a resource advantage. It, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Is is that distinct from or include? So the uh, super laser technician, right? Yes. Um, that Gives dies a gain a resource. Is that resource yes. also resource? Just that, having that more resources. Having more resources is resource advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Having more resources, readying resources is resource advantage. Um, if you're using Boba's leader ability to ready your resource, you're gaining resources, right? Right. Like you have more resources to spend. But the key about resource advantage is that resource advantage only matters if you are able to use it. So any turn where you are not using all of your resources, you are losing resource advantage, right? Like imagine that it's it's turn four, we both have five resources, and you play a three and a two, and I play a four, right? I have wasted one resource. That if resource you don't is have gone one forever. follow-up. If that's if the I sum total of what we played, then you've wasted right. one resource. Okay. And it might be that you know, my four is better than your two and a three, but I have wasted this symmetric thing that we had that it may have been the correct play, but I am not gaining resource advantage by doing that. And so this is why you always want to spend your resources any, every turn. Any turn where you have like a significant number of dead resources is really bad. And it, to go back to last episode where we talked about curves... This is why you need plays on early turns, because if you don't have a play on two, you don't have a play on three, 
what are you doing with your life? Right. Uh, but also you've you're wasted losing resources. five resources. You're... Yeah. Is that also losing tempo? Like, like, yes. I'm, I'm... yeah, you okay. are also losing tempo is that, um, you had five resources that you could have used to do things, but let's imagine that you don't play anything on two, but on three, you play five resources worth of units for, because magic, magic. because that's the way that it works. Not lowercase m magic. Right? Yeah. Well, lowercase m, not, not the, the magic, the deck master game by Richard Garfield, PhD, <laughs> but, um, uh, you are play. if I magically am able to play five resources worth of units on turn three, and you were able to, on turn two, play a two cost resource and on turn a uh, two cost unit. And then on three, you were able to play a three cost resource. A three it's not resource magic. Unit. You're my only hope, right? Like three yeah. into five. Yeah. Three. Th yeah. If, uh, if I am, I had that two cost unit able to take action on turn three and you did not. So I gained a tempo advantage with my two cost unit um, because it was able to act when you were not to. But we have now, for uh, whatever reason, we have achieved parity on resources. But yeah, you're my only hope is a good call out there. Okay, okay. I right. mean, still, we've yet to make yeah. it a good card, but yep. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, I, I, I don't know reason. that I 100% grasp quite the distinction between playing when when playing a card uh that is perfectly on curve is a resource advantage versus a tempo advantage but I'm, but, I'm, but i'm close but that right. goes back i think to right. that idea that why leaders who allow you to round out your curve those are the ones they're essentially allowing you yeah. to take full advantage resource make sure you're always at least maintaining parity on resource yeah. advantage as long as it's doing something positive right like if you're wasting resources on something that does literally nothing then or or less than nothing like yes you're spending all of your resources but you're spending them poorly like you you, you still know. want to be efficiently casting yeah. good stuff so right okay. there's another reason why resupply and super laser technician can be really tricky is that um or at least super laser technician can sometimes be tricky because you don't get to control when you get that extra resource so you might gain the resource advantage but you might not be able to take advantage of it until later and so you're you gained a resource advantage, but you're not able to use it. So is it really an advantage? Probably not. Okay. All right. So, what is the most concrete advantage? Or the most concrete advantage is card advantage, and that is because it can never be taken away from you. That's cards in your hand. The card, yes, uh, is players have the same number of cards. If I have more cards than you do, uh, or if I you have fewer cards because I made you have fewer cards for some reason, or if I am able to trade, and again, here we're kind of fudging things a little bit, but if I'm able to use some of my cards such that I am using one of my cards and I am affecting multiple of your cards, I'm killing multiple of your cards, then I am gaining a card advantage. So for example, if I use open fire on your unit, I have traded one card for one of your cards. If I am using Mission Briefing, the reason why you would play Mission Briefing is I am spending one of my cards and I am drawing two cards. So now I have one more card in my hand than I would have otherwise. So I'm up a card. Okay. If I use Overwhelming Barrage to destroy two to three of your units, uh, I have gained a, I mean, going through, I have gained a board advantage because I now have a better unit on the board. You have lost board advantage because you now no longer have as many units as you had on the board. And I have probably gained a card advantage because I have used one of my cards, Overwhelming Barrage, to trade for multiple of your cards. Okay. I'm, I'm so still lost. I mean, I play a card, cause you to discard yeah. a card. Yes. You're saying card advantage can't be taken away. Right. Uh, because but I just you took spent one a card of your cards to force away. me to... You did, but you spent a card, right? right. So, like, right. if I have three cards and you have three cards and you spend a card to make me discard a card, now we both have two and two. We both have the same number of cards. If I spend a card and I make you discard two cards, um, you have lost card advantage slightly, right. but, or you can think of it as I gained card advantage. Okay. Hey, but isn't that not being yeah. taken away? You're, I, I'm not- I mean, I'm, yeah, I, 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 I hear you, I hear you, I hear you, uh, but like you have to take a specific action i guess to take away card advantage there's no in-game mechanic that allows me to fight for card advantage i can't choose other 
there's no choices outside of the cards that I put in my deck. But I mean, I can't. It's not like Netrunner where I can just dedicate actions to drawing more cards. Like exactly, I get the right. two that the game gives me, and I mean, every card breaks but the I rules. Think, yeah, but I think that this is actually something is that there is an in-game mechanic to gain card advantage, and that is not resourcing. Is mm. if I draw two and I don't resource, then I am gaining a card advantage, right? And this okay. is one of the reasons why aggro decks and and like mid-range decks choosing when to stop resourcing is huge. Because if I'm making a decision to stop resourcing, I am gaining card advantage on you every turn that I am not resourcing. Which okay. I think is actually really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting enough that I'm sure we'll do a segment on it at some point. Yes. So, okay. Or maybe now. Um, yeah. But, but okay, so that's that's a trade of resources, right? And so, yes. and when I'm playing a card, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my uh, card advantage. But if I'm, yep. you know... Uh, Looking at like resupply, I play a card that right. costs me card yes. advantage. I mean, anytime you're yep. playing a card, right? That's the classic idea yes. is that every card costs one card. Every ability yes. costs one card. So right. this is why metal ceremony is not as good as it looks. Like it's free, but it costs you a card. And a card right. is, is worth more than plus one, plus one on three different units. Is it one card versus, I mean, plus three, plus three is a lot. Well, yeah, but it's on three different units. Okay. Uh, I, we, we can we can we can fight about this. We can fight sure, about sure, this. sure. Right. So, yeah. but but you're exchanging one type of advantage, yes, with, with resupply, for yeah. um, I'm playing that card. I've lost card advantage yeah. by playing a card, yes. but I've gained resource advantage. Right, uh, and I, I may have lost board advantage also, right? Because I didn't right. I didn't play anything to the board on three, sure. so I may and have. I lo- but like looking yeah. at metal ceremony, right. it costs you a card, so it costs you card advantage. It doesn't cost you any resource yeah. advantage. No. Uh, since it didn't cost you any resources, you absolutely could be, in theory, playing cards. Maybe cards with yep. ambush, but you had cards that sure. attacked. You still yep. have cards. So you are essentially, yep. but to, to your physics comment about isolating right. variables, it costs zero. So we don't have to worry about resource advantage. It, does, yep. we, it doesn't, we don't have to worry about board advantage. We're literally yep. just exchanging card advantage for, for board, advantage. board advantage. And yes that's it yeah. those are the only two columns that, that matter one to yeah. the other um yeah. so okay it, and i assume that's just really what ga- a lot of this card evaluation boils down to right. is yeah. why people can argue about whether metal ceremony is, is good or not is is that trade right. a good trade exactly right like is is resupply a good trade and it, it's contextual right like if i'm resupplying if it's turn nine and i'm resupplying I'm not gaining, like, I'm going from nine resources to 11 resources next turn. And maybe that's significant, but it's probably not. It probably doesn't matter that I have 11 resources. I don't think I'm going to be able to spend them all. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm spending a card to do, to not, to gain me an advantage in a column that doesn't matter. Because I'm going to waste that advantage. But, you know, if I'm resupplying on three and I'm not worried about your board, then I go from three to five and I am now gaining a resource advantage. Every turn I can uh, have more resources than you do because I resupplied. And if I'm able to efficiently use my resupply, I can turn those resources into a board advantage where I'm playing bigger units than you are. And so my bigger units are probably going to be better than your units. And so I can gain a board advantage. And then once I have a board advantage, maybe I can kill you. Okay. So, and then I have, I think we can all agree that in a hypothetical scenario where I'm playing aggro, uh, hero aggro, and I'm at, you know, Sabine, I'm able to get out two one cost cards in the round one. Yep. And then uh, in round two, I'm able to get out some sort of, three cost ambush that doesn't cost anything mm-hmm. i attack with three cards they all survive i play metal ceremony yep. metal ceremony in round two four three i think we can all agree is a is a good trade right yeah uh, just because the board presence at that moment in round two the three three of board presence is great Whereas, oh yeah no that's you that, that that's, if in that specific context yes metal ceremony is absolutely right. gold right whereas if it's round 10 Right? right, and we have nine resources, and yep. that's the card that I've got in my hand. Three three is not worth the card. You'd rather when some the other when your opponent's using a card, regardless of resources, they're using a card uh, to to drop a you know home one or a devastator mm-hmm. or an avenger, right? Like that's right. what are you doing with your turn? You're giving three three yeah. to three dudes or one one to three dudes. So yeah. So how do you figure out like when you have optional traits, right? Like, right. Um, 
at some point a trade becomes you know forget the deck building component is metal right. ceremony worth putting in my deck how many metal ceremonies is worth putting in my deck but yeah at some sometimes a card you know a metal ceremony is a a card that you keep if you think you can play it on turn two it is a card yep. you resource if you don't think you can play it on turn six seven eight yes but there's there's a pivot point and yes. so when you are trading one type of advantage for another type of advantage how, how do you you know, how do you identify that that inflection point where it goes from get being good. a worthwhile trade to something that's you're you're asking for too much? And you said get good, right. get, get, good, get good, right? Like okay. the, 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 there are, I mean, like you you can you can say in general when you are trading for one kind of an advantage, you only want to trade for that kind of advantage if it's worth it, right? Like if I am, let's let's imagine that I'm waylaying your unit, right? When I'm waylaying your unit, I'm spending three resources and a card and I'm bouncing a card back to your hand, a unit back to your hand, and then you have to play that unit again, right? So I've cost you tempo because you've lost, depending on when I play the waylay during the turn, right? Like if I play the waylay before you attack with the unit, then you've lost a tempo for a turn for that unit. It can't attack this turn. And maybe another tempo, maybe it can't attack next turn because, um, you know, depending on how you play it. I may gain resources. If I'm waylaying your seven cost unit, then I have gained effectively four resources because i'm forcing you to spend seven resources again that, that you have previously spent right so i'm getting a resource advantage um if i am waylaying a five cost unit those things are still true but the odds that you're going to be able to reap like that it's going to be a significant harm on you to replay that five cost unit are the card Question. advantage that you've lost right. by playing yes they don't lose a card the card advantage you've they lost they don't lose a card yeah is and the right. and the resource advantage that you've gained of three versus five is so much smaller that you're right. really relying on that tempo and maybe the tempo wins you the game. Maybe the tempo wins you the game and maybe it doesn't. Uh, okay. Change of heart, I think, is another good one, right? Like change of heart is potentially giving you you're trading a card for a temporary board and uh, tempo advantage, right? Where you're taking their unit, you can attack with their unit. So you go from that unit was on their column and now it's on your column. Uh, if you can attack effectively with that unit and maybe like trade away uh, that unit for something good, or maybe you can attack with that unit into your opponent's base and deal a lot of damage, it's worth it, but you're giving up like a card and six resources. And so the question is, is it worth it? I don't know. It depends. It depends on what the board state looks like. Um, you know, consider the, the complete ridiculous case of waylaying. I waylay your Death Star Stormtrooper. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and, and maybe that's the right call, right? Like it might be a situation where you have identically three base health. And uh, if I waylay your Death Star Stormtrooper, you can't attack with your Death Star Stormtrooper this turn and I can win the game or I can play my Sentinel unit or I can do whatever. And it, it can be worth it in that circumstance, but it's... I, I look you know, forward to uh, uh, Tower Number 9 or Garbage Rollers or somebody posting a YouTube video where somebody wins by change of hearting a, a you know, uh, a regional like a donor. cantina braggart or something yeah. ridiculous something yeah. just yeah. trivial where it's like well i need yeah. to do two and i can only do two by stealing your trivial pipsqueak for six resources so i look right. forward to that youtube video um uh, okay. one other thing that i do want to talk about and yeah. and i talk about like the hidden fifth and this is the idea of we have time card hidden advantage. fifth yeah. yes all right so this is pseudo card advantage so this is you are taking a card and you are making it not worth anything for a while so Entrenched, I think, is a perfect example of a pseudo card advantage card, where when I play Entrenched on your unit, uh, or I am playing Entrenched on my own unit, I can make that unit worthless temporarily because it can't attack the base. So imagine that like you have some big space unit and I have a whole ground army. When I Entrench, I am effectively removing your big space unit, right? Like I am I'm killing it. It's a... It, we. I have gained... It is a, a one-for-one one trade, but it's not a real one-for-one one trade, right? Because as soon as I play a space unit, suddenly your giant entrenched Star Destroyer is valuable Even bigger, again. right. Right. Or, as um, I have subjected you to time and time again, overwhelming barrage on an entrenched... Med feel Overwhelming barrage yeah. on a unit of your own that was entrenched by your opponent feels delicious. Like, that's just... Oh, no, it's, it's amazing, right? Like... Yeah. So uh, another example of this is uh, big Sentinel units, is that if I play Obi-Wan Kenobi, let's say, 
you know, Obi-Wan is, you know, what, 4-6? Mm -hmm. Reason reasonably big Sentinel unit. I might not have any good attacks into Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I might be gaining a pseudo tempo advantage, or I might, I might be gaining a real tempo advantage. You're not able to attack with your cards, but you can... Sometimes people think of this as a pseudo card advantage, right? Like, You're saying if I play Obi-Wan Kenobi and yes. you have nothing to run into it, I have gained yeah. a pseudo tempo advantage. No, you have the... gained a real tempo advantage. You have gained okay. a real tempo advantage because my real units are in actuality not able to attack. But sometimes people classify this as like a pseudo card advantage is that you have turned off my units. But as soon as Obi-Wan is gone, then my units can attack again. So right. they weren't killed and this is, again, where I I feel like it's important to be more precise about things, but I want to, you know, you're going to encounter stuff on the street, so it's important that you learn it from me rather than, <laughs> than from Johnny at the playgrounds. Um, you know, pseudo... Pseudo card advantage pseudo -card is not advantage. real card advantage. It just represents... Right. An idea that I am kind of trading one card for multiple of your cards in a way that makes them temporarily useless. And sometimes that's a tempo advantage, right? Like you can think of entrenched as being, oh, it's a tempo advantage. Or you can think of entrenched as being, you know, in the. Like, so outmaneuver, right? Yeah. Like, which right. just taps an entire lane. That's, or yes. exhausts an entire lane. That's right. That, that's a pure tempo advantage, but people might say, like, oh, um, it's maybe pseudo card. Like, I, I don't think, I don't know people who would classify that as pseudo card advantage, but I think that people who would classify, like, Chewbacca making units temporarily sentinel as pseudo card advantage, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Like, uh, I think entrenched is the perfect is the the a number one. This is pseudo card advantage uh, card rather than thinking of it as like infinite tempo advantage because, you know, effectively an infinite temp a if you remove a card that is kind of infinite tempo advantage, you have gained you the person has lost infinite tempo off of that particular card okay you you can so, make you can make that argument i i i don't like that argument because that argument is kind of dumb but but one could make that argument what hey you know what i used to be a lawyer yeah. that's that's my jam is dying on the hill of bad arguments so um yeah. sometimes sometimes you got nothing but bad arguments and you make them as best you can uh so to wrap up our segment then not not what's the best or what's the most important but on a purely subjective good feels What's your favorite of these advantages? Like, which one do you just get? I mean, happy I love cards. I love. I, I mean, there's a reason why I put card advantage where I did, and that is, I will die with handfuls of cards in my hands, <laughs> uh, and you have seen me do it, yep. and I will continue to do it. And you know, yes, I have gained card advantage, but at what price? It probably wasn't worth it. But by God, I had look at all these cards. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely a board advantage guy, right? Like that's the Timmy. I just I'm I, I don't I don't care if my hand's empty if I've just got a big board, um, but and that goes I think to my complete unwillingness to sack units or spend health uh, to do things because then I would have less and I don't want to have less. Mm -hmm. I want to have more, right? Like you know, the only thing that matters Greatness. is the board. Everything else is potential. Greatness at any price. I, I do want to do a tiny side note here about sure. greed. I mentioned greed before, but greed is used as a shorthand for when you are trying to maximize an advantage at the cost of other things. So, okay. um, you know, if people will talk about like, oh, this is a greedy play. I am trying to, let, let's talk about like playing greedy with an academy walker, right? Like okay. what you are trying to do with an academy walker, uh, which gives plus one, plus one to all uh, damage units is you are losing tempo because you're not playing the Academy Walker now. You might be losing resources if you're not playing the Academy Walker and instead you're having to do a more inefficient combination of units. Um, but you are trying to maximize that moment of board advantage that you get. And you have to play a little bit greedy because you have to try and get your advantages where you can get them. But too much greed will kill you because other people are able to maximize the advantages that you are giving up to, to try and be greedy. Another example of greed is uh, how how long do you hold Palpatine, right? Like, do you hold him until you can kill exactly, you know, six health worth of units? Or or are you content with just killing like two or three health worth of units to get that that big palpy advantage, that that beautiful boy on, on the table? Or, or I think even just a sequencing question is, right. you know, do you accept that you can do some damage without killing a unit versus running a card 
you know, if you open with Palpatine, you can do the six. Yeah. If you're going to run something into somebody so that you can kill with the six, but that gives them a turn to yeah, name Palpatine no, exactly. off original yeah. governor or whatever. And so now you just don't. Okay. Okay. You, you, you greeted yourself to death. Yeah. Okay. Don't be greedy. Yeah. Be disagree. Be be greedy, but be greedy responsibly. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, don't talk to Johnny on the playground and exactly. be greedy yeah. uh, responsibly. That's that's our yeah. uh, moralistic takes from this segment. And that's all she wrote. Again, this was episode number four of the Force Unlimited. We're recording December tenth, twenty twenty three. I assume if we look at a Venn diagram of our very few. Force Unlimited subscribers, we see you, thank you. Force Unlimited subscribers and those who celebrate Hanukkah, I think that Venn diagram at the center consists only of my wife. But for mm -hmm. any of our listeners, uh, if you celebrate Hanukkah, dear listener, from my family to yours, happy Hanukkah. But only from my family, Ned's family doesn't care about you. Oh, no, 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 no. My family, we care about trains and train-related objects. Uh, so in the event that you are some kind of hyper-intelligent future train listening to this, uh, happy winter holidays. <laughs> um, uh, dear listener, if uh, you have any thoughts about the episode, please reach out. Podcast at swoodeb.com. Ned, do you have any thoughts about the episode? I do. Uh, don't listen to that Johnny Boy and Palpy is my beautiful child. Oh, okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I love Palpy yeah. too. All right. With that, dear listener, we'll see you in two weeks. Yeah.